thrilled you're here today for our Musar learning session number three of 10. Three of 10 learning the Midot, um, applied Jewish values towards our character growth here with Rabbi Lauren Berman, session three. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you are in the room or learning from a distance, we always appreciate you being with us. Okay, Rabbi Berman, thank you. Great, thank you, Rav Shmuley. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to see you. Good to see some familiar faces for the listeners out there, some familiar ears. Um, great to be here. Thank you for having me once again. As we did last time, I want to start with a brief review of what we did last week. Um, in this case, actually a bit of what's called uh, in yeshiva uh, hashlama, which is sort of tying things together. Um, a reflection I had really over the weekend about anava um, or humility. Um, we'll touch briefly on hitlamdu, which was what we learned just a couple sessions ago. Then I want us to zoom out actually and focus um, on, a, on a concept um, of ma'asim k'tanim, of small actions. Um, in Mustar, it's really not about how can I go from zero to 60 or you know, totally change myself or become this kind of person. It's really about noticing um, the small things and making small incremental changes. We'll see that actually in the context of, of gratitude, which is, which is the, uh, the topic, the midah, that we will be exploring today. And in terms of gratitude, the concept may not be totally foreign to us all, uh, at least in theory, I'm not sure we all practice it, but it is nonetheless important to remind ourselves of, and we'll, we'll see how gratitude plays out in the Torah and if there's anything we can learn from that, um, perhaps something we didn't know before about gratitude. So first, let's just uh, briefly review Hit Lamdut. We studied it a few weeks ago, Hit Lamdut from the root, Lomed. We defined it as an ever constant learning mindset, a beginner's mind, curiosity, the mindset that in life, everything and everyone offers me an opportunity to learn something new, something positive. People I like, people I barely notice, people I dislike, even animals in nature. The world is our learning ground. And how do we cultivate it? We do it by, we can ask questions, ask why often. Let's try to understand others rather than argue. When we feel the urge to disengage, Hilam Dut says, no, stay in the situation when it's safe and really try to leave that situation when you're ready with a new or reinforced lesson. Failure or success, everything is a learning moment. That's Hilam Dut. We learned about Anava last week, which we translated as humility. And we used Alan Marinus's line of, no more than my space, no less than my place. We use that um, to suggest that anava, real humility, is actually synonymous with a healthy dose of confidence and acknowledgement of my abilities, my potential, my success, and acknowledgement that I did not get there alone. And that I'm actually indebted to other beings, human and divine, for those gifts. And we'll see actually that play out today with gratitude. Anava, we said, falls between on this spectrum between self-deprecation, which it is not, and narcissism, which Anava also is not. It's somewhere in the middle. And I was doing some thinking over the weekend. Actually, sometimes I'll just repeat to myself a different shurim that I give and see if I would give it differently or if different thoughts come to me in the moment. And so I was walking back from Shul Friday night, just going over last week's session in my head, and I realized something and I, and I wanted to share so I was doing some thinking, as I said, over the weekend, and I thought maybe we should just refer to this midah, anava, um, as anava, and we should maybe cut the wording of humility from our discussion because it's so laden with connotations of lowliness and on a literal level from the root of the earth rather than towards the heavens which, with which we do attempt as Jews to connect. Can we really say that the word humility, can we really say that word humility and actually mean balanced confidence. To me, it's just not what the word means, no matter how much I want to believe it. I'm not sure. Um, but perhaps if we are going to use this, this English word humility, we can think of humility, I want to say, not as low and of the earth or on the earth, but rather as down to earth. Think about humility as being down to earth. And in this expression, down to earth, it does seem connected to the word humility, right? Um, and we usually refer to people who, who indeed have succeeded and don't put themselves down 
right, as down to earth. And when they're down to earth, that means we can connect to them. Narcissists and arrogant people are very hard to connect to. They're in their own worlds. But if we try to be down to earth rather than low and on the earth, we might be able to both use the word humble as something we strive to be while avoiding the negative connotations of lowliness. So anava, I would say, is, is humility, and humility is being down to earth. Let's, um, let's arrive to our third midah of our series, and, um, and it's, it's gratitude. Gratitude, that's the English word. And in Hebrew, we call it something else. There are, I would say, a couple different components. Um, we will get there very, very shortly. So let's touch on the English word for gratitude, answer the question of why gratitude matters, and then take a look at how the concept is explored in our Jewish sources. So how does one of the many dictionaries out there define gratitude? I actually think it fits quite well with the Jewish approach. The dictionary, at least the one that I read, says, the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for, and to return kindness. The first part, I think, is self-evident, feeling thankful. It doesn't specify if that's thankful for something, thankful to somebody, which we will explore. The second part of that definition, I think, is very interesting. Readiness to return kindness. Since when is gratitude anything other than an emotion? And now, all of a sudden, according to the dictionary, it's about giving. And we'll see that's exactly how the Torah itself and a leading Musar thinker, Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler, an influential 20th century Musar master, express true gratitude. The English word gratitude comes from this Latin gratis, which means pleasing, welcome, agreeable. And all these are relational and positive emotions. Um, in its ultimate, ultimate root, it actually means to praise or to celebrate. And even, get this, to be in contact with the divine. This suggests to us, as we'll see, that gratitude is not just something we express between one another, but between us and God as well, and perhaps even God with us. Perhaps all the things, all things we express gratitude in some sense are actually connected to the divine. Perhaps again, with this root, gratitude can be something that helps us feel like the world is a pleasing, welcoming, agreeable place, one in which the divine in which the divine dwells and feels welcoming. When we express gratitude, then it, can, it has theological implications and it creates a more pleasant, hospitable world. Gratitude is itself, we could call a spiritual practice. Why is gratitude important? First of all, it's a very hot topic. Um, I read this in a, an article, the number of publications on gratitude appearing in the biomedical literature in five-year increments since 1960 to 1965 was almost zero, um, until 1996 to 2000, about 20 studies. And then the number doubled from 2001 to 2005. And from 2006 to 2010, publications jumped to 150. And from 2011 to the present, over 275 studies on gratitude have been published. It is a very hot topic. Um, won't go into too much detail, but there are a lot of articles that talk about physical health, how um, there are a lot of physical benefits to, um, to, to, to people, who, for those who express gratitude or feel gratitude. There are many psychological benefits. Um, some studies show that the frequency with which one experiences gratitude and the depth of that emotion is actually linked to improvements in perceived social support and reduced stress, reduced depression, and most importantly, relationships. When we cultivate gratitude, we feel loved. Ungrateful people, generally don't feel loved by others. Nothing's ever enough and, and no good deed goes unpunished in their mind. Gratitude, I should say, is not a fixed trait. None of the things that we've been discussing are fixed traits. Um, they are all things that when engaged intentionally, when we engage intentionally in gratitude exercises or practices, we can increase the frequency of, of experiencing gratitude, the depth of gratitude that we experience in the range of experiences for which we'll feel grateful. So to, to just define, and the, I would say in the, the Jewish approach to gratitude, um, at least one in the Musar tradition, say there's a really um, three stages of gratitude and it's actually a cycle. So in the first stage, we have what's called hakarat hatov, literally noticing and acknowledging the good. That's our first step is just noticing the good in the world. 
The second is hoda'a, which is giving thanks to the source of those blessings. First we notice, then we offer thanks. And the third, I would say actually, is gimilut chasadim, acts of loving kindness. Acts of loving kindness is, I would say, the third. We had seen in the definition of gratitude that return to kindness is actually part and parcel of what it means to feel truly grateful. When I feel truly grateful, my cup is overflowing. I feel this need to give back. That's the third stage of gratitude. And that leads us back when I notice I'm doing good for myself and I notice uh, when I notice myself doing, doing good in the world and I notice the impact having on the world, that's more good for me to notice, more good for me to think, more good for me to do. So it is a cycle. There's a cycle of gratitude. We're going to break down each three uh, each of these three steps. But to set the stage, first of all, in a cosmological grand sense, the world was actually created in order that we express gratitude, in this case to God. The world was created, we were created in order to express gratitude. If some of the Torah might be a projection of God's inner being onto us, I wonder if we could say that when God points out that it's not good for humans to be alone, maybe, and so God creates a woman as, a, as an Ezer Kinegdo, as a companion, as a helpmate um, for, for Adam, perhaps that's a sign that God, God's self is also feeling alone. And we are here to be God's helper, to be God's support. This might be philosophy 101, Jewish philosophy 101, I don't know. I'm sure there's a midrash to this effect. I'm sure there's Kabbalah that says this. Um, but it came to me as I was thinking that God feels alone. And after being around for a timeless period of time, God wants some acknowledgement, some thanks. So God creates the world. So God creates the world. So is there proof for this idea? I would suggest it comes from part of a well-known Rashi. Rashi, one of the great uh, uh, commentaries um, on the Torah and also on the whole Talmud and a lot more than that. He comments on the first word of the Torah. So the Torah begins, Bereshit bara Elohim. Bereshit, in Reshit, or through Reshit, through the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, etc. Rashi brings a Midrash that says that this word, Reshit, Bereshit, that word Reshit can actually mean elsewhere in Tanakh, can mean Israel, because Israel is referred to Reshit as, as Reshit elsewhere. Alternatively, it could mean the Torah. So either the world was created through the Torah as like a blueprint, or the world was created for the sake of the Jews, because each of those is referred to as Reshit. Another instance of Reshit, Rabbi Yaakov Wolbe, who's one of Rav Shalom Wolbe, we talked about Ale Shur, one of his grandsons, points out that Reshit Kol Prihadama, another instance of Reshit in Deuteronomy 26, that's referring to the first fruits, the first fruit offering and the expression of gratitude of farmers in Israel that they were to make. Now, Rashi doesn't actually bring this word reshit of, of the first fruit offering in his, in his commentary. Um, and I don't believe it's in the Midrash that Rashi quotes. He brings another instance of a crop-related reshit word, but it's not this one. But despite that, I think we can suggest that this connection between the reshit, the, this word reshit, with uh, or for which the world was created, Bereshit, is related to the Reshit, which is, relate, which, is, which, is the, which is how we describe the first fruits offering, Reshit Kol Priyadama, the first um, of all the fruits of the earth. Um, and that, of course, is an expression of gratitude. When we offer our thanks in these fruit offerings um, in the land of Israel, that is an, that is an act of gratitude um, towards God, towards Hashem. And understood this way, the Torah was created for Reshit. And that Reshit, it might be the Torah, it might be Israel, but it might be gratitude itself. Hashem created the world so that we could express and experience for ourselves gratitude. Notably, in the next verse, um, uh, after the Torah says, I now bring the first fruits of the soil, Reshit, Kopriyadama, which you, O Lord, have given me. Um, this all needs to be said out loud, by the way. Gratitude is something that needs to be voiced, not simply felt. The Torah says, you shall leave it before the Lord your God and bow low before the Lord your God. It then says, you shall enjoy together with the Levite 
and the stranger in your midst. All the bounty that the Lord your God has bestowed upon you in your household. The fruits of our labor are not just for the farmer and for the family, right? Who grew them and is offering thanks for them. The farmer is to divide it amongst others, to invite others to join in this party of gratitude. This goes back to the point we made at the beginning, that gratitude by definition inspires us to give to others rather than to hoard for ourselves when we really feel grateful. And both the emotion of gratitude itself and the resulting acts of giving have this rippling effect of bringing groups together. Gratitude binds. Let's start with Hakarat Hatov, our first, our first, uh, our first stage of, of gratitude. You'll notice maybe one of these things in the, in the slides is not like the others. There is a picture of Marie Kondo uh, alongside a picture of Moses, a picture of uh, the Kotzko Rebbe and others. So what do they all have in common? So Hakarat Hatov, it's simply to notice that there's good in the world and in one's world. I say simply, but it's not so simple, right? It, li it literally means to recognize, lehakir, the good, hatov, hakarat hatov, recognizing the good. This presupposes that there's already good there. And if it's not yet seen, it's waiting for us to see it. There is no situation, no matter how bleak, where there's no tov, no good to be recognized. Though I personally sometimes get stopped at the gate here and can't make it past, uh, uh, it's, it's sometimes really hard to see the good. I've done work in jails and with individuals in recovery from addiction. And let me tell you, no matter how confined they may feel physically or psychologically, these folks, they have hakarat hatov. They have gratitude. I remember asking folks in jail over Passover in what ways they felt free, as if one could possibly feel free there, right? <laughs> as if one could possibly say that. And what might feel so small for some of us who are not confined was so significant to those who had everything else taken away. They would say things like, my mind, I can think freely. They would say things like time, books to read, knowing I'm not forgotten. One nice quote I saw um, quoted on, on, uh, on taking things for granted by a Jewish and of course a Zen Buddhist, uh, Rashi, not to be confused with a Rosh Hashiva. Um, his name is Bernie Glassman and he says, because we eat two, three, or four times every day, it's easy to forget how wondrous that is. It's like the sunrise or the sunset. The sun rises and sets every day. If it's an especially beautiful sunrise, we may notice it. But if it's not special, we may not even see it. But if we can see it as if for the first time, parentheses, also how we're asked to look at Torah, each sunrise becomes very special and very beautiful. This is the essence of Hakarat Hatov, I'd say. And though this is from a Zen Buddhist, these values are no less authentically Jewish. There's no shortage of terrible things happening in this world and in our worlds. And if we really just focused on all the negative things, we would have plenty of, uh, we would basically have you know, our work cut out for us without any opportunities um, for living uh, with gratitude. We don't need to ignore these more troubling things, but step one in gratitude is simply notice that it's not all bad, that there's some good, and that actually noticing, and then actually noticing what good there is. First, we need to accept that there's good, and then we can go and look for it. Sometimes these things are hidden. Sometimes they're right in front of our eyes, but we are totally desensitized to their existence. We take them for granted. Hakaratov then means we acknowledge that which is good despite. What are the types of good that we might recognize? On one level, since we seek to develop midot, like gratitude, to strengthen our relationships with others, it would seem reasonable to focus on those with whom we are in relationship, our parents, children, friends, colleagues, God. But in the same way that Musar asks us to learn and practice hitlam dut, not just by learning from other people, but but by learning from items in the world, the same applies to Hakarat Hatov. We experience gratitude, not just for other people in our lives and or what they provide for us, but for the objects in the world which serve us in ways we might overlook. The reason for this is the following. When we practice these midot towards inanimate objects, 
We are exercising the muscle we need to use in our relationships. I'd also add that it's a moment of a mida practice lishma for its own sake. The items we express gratitude towards don't necessarily feel any better because we're grateful to them. But we ourselves become more grateful, more curious people by virtue of developing those midot. Now, this is a lesson we learned from Marie Kondo, and it's a lesson we learned from the Kotzka Rebbe. It's a lesson we learned from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moses. Let's start with Marie Kondo. I, I haven't, so to be honest, I haven't read or watched Marie Kondo, but I know that one of her teachings is that you know when it's time to throw something away when you are not treating it with respect. I think about my books. Uh, when I was moving from New York to Philadelphia, I wasn't sure which books to take with me, which to give away. I have a hard time giving away books. I had so many and I wanted to keep them all, but some were sitting in boxes under my bed or in grocery bags stuffed away in my closet and I hadn't seen the light of day for years. Is this how I would treat a loved one? Is this, does, does this book feel like I'm actually respecting it? No, I wasn't showing these books the love that they deserved. It was clear. I was not serving them and they were not serving me. And so I had to say goodbye to these. Marie Kondo advocates saying thank you to the things one gives away, to express gratitude for those inanimate objects, which in fact serve us very well. And if you think that doesn't sound so Jewish, there's the 19th century Kotzko Rebbe, whenever he would throw away a pair of shoes, he would wrap them up nicely in newspaper. He would thank them. Thank you, shoes. Thank you, shoes, for for taking me so many miles. Thank you for taking me to the, to the store. Thank you for taking me to, you know, to shul, to all these places. Thank you for helping me to do mitzvot, to, do, to run, to do commandments. He would wrap them in newspaper before throwing them away. He would thank them for all those miles they allowed him to walk. And it reminds me actually of my suitcases. My suitcases have been with me everywhere. Um, how many places they've taken me, the passport stamps they've accumulated and allowed me to accumulate. There's a story uh, about uh, uh, Rebbe Elia, 20th century Musar master from the school of Kelm, which if, we, if you remember, we discussed in our first session, the school which focused on order and discipline. And the story goes that he had laid down his large talis, his talit, his, his, uh, his, his shawl on a bench in order to fold it. And when he finished folding it, he noticed that the bench was very dusty. So what did he do? He grabbed the cloth, he cleaned the bench. Why? Because the bench had served as a platform to help him fold his talus and likely to help his, I would say, to make his prayer experience more pleasant so he didn't have to stand the whole time. These are three very different individuals. Maybe two are more, more, more similar than the other. Um, but each expressed gratitude to directly towards the physical things in this world. And if that still feels a little new agey, let's go back to Moses. Moses is one of the paradigms of people of someone who was grateful to inanimate objects. We see in the Midrash that he did not carry out the first three plagues himself. He had Aaron do them because why? He felt gratitude for the river. And we're gonna make sense of this in a second. He felt gratitude for the river, which, which turned into blood and from which the frogs uh, sprang, sprung, sprang. And the sand he felt gratitude towards and the sand yielded lice. Those were the first, the, right, lice was the third plague. And, uh, and the Midrash says that, Mo, that there's a reason why Moses didn't do it himself and Aaron did. So if we look in the Midrash, if we just read through it, it says the following. Rabbi Tanchum said, why wasn't the Nile, the water, struck by Moses? Why did Aaron do that and turn it into blood? The Holy Blessed One said, the water which protected you when you were cast in the river it's not right that they be struck by your hand. On your life, it should only be struck by Aaron. So the first two plagues, blood and frogs, both of which had to do with the Nile River, were not done by Moses because the Nile is what saved Moses in the first place. Moses owed it thanks. It was not right for Moses to, to cause such, such damage to this river. Another Midrash says, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, hold out your rod and strike the dust of the earth and it shall turn to lice throughout the land of Egypt. Rabbi Tanchum again said, the Holy Blessed One said to Moses, the dust that protected you when you killed the Egyptian, it's not right that they be struck by your hand. Therefore, these three plagues were done by Aaron. 
So the lice came from the, from the, from, from the sand. The sand, when Moses had left the palace and saw the Jews fighting, saw, well, in this case, saw the Egyptian uh, oppressing the Jews, and then he killed, killed the, uh, the Egyptian, buried the Egyptian with that sand, and then he ran away. That sand helped save Moses. So why should Moses be responsible for, strike, for, for anything, you know, for, 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 for harming the sand? Um, or, or being involved with, with some destruction caused by, caused by this sand. So here we see Moses, again, showing gratitude for inanimate objects. We should take a step back for a second and just note two things. First is that ingratitude, if Moses here, we're seeing Moses expressing gratitude, this is the complete opposite of everything that was happening in Egypt before. In the beginning of our time in Egypt, Joseph performed a favor for Pharaoh's cupbearer when they were serving time together in prison. Together, he helped interpret this cupbearer's troubling dream and predicted good tidings for this individual. And Joseph asked that this cupbearer, please remember me, you know, put in a good word with Pharaoh while I'm, you know, you know lying here in prison. The cupbearer forgot about Joseph. The cupbearer did not have gratitude for Joseph interpreting his dreams and empowering him. And similarly, Pharaoh was ungrateful when he did not know, he forgot Joseph. He did not recognize, he forgot, he refused to acknowledge Joseph's role in saving Egypt and playing such a, a large leadership role. Pharaoh was ungrateful to Joseph and also Pharaoh did not recognize God's power either. Pharaoh was, was an ingrate towards God. And so what this teaches us is that one way to cultivate gratitude is by making an active effort to simply remember. We see what happens when we don't remember good things that people do for us. And by the way, there's no expiration date here. Whether it was done 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or, or a month ago, or a day ago, there's no expiration date. When somebody does something for us, that should make a mark on us. That was a chesed, that was a kindness they did towards us. And we should do our best to thank them when we can, even if it's years too late. Second thing to note is that if the Jewish tradition is telling us that we need to express gratitude for inanimate objects, all the more so, of course, we're supposed to apply these lessons to our fellow human beings. So step one, simply acknowledge the good. Start with in an inanimate objects, and then we move outwards towards individuals. On some level, we might find it easier to feel grateful towards in inanimate objects because there isn't a sense of indebtedness or vulnerability that we might feel or express um, in the way that it might come up when doing the same with others. So there is an advantage of starting our gratitude practices with inanimate, inanimate objects. Now, there's a person who did recognize the good despite an experience of real suffering. And she took the next step in gratitude, which we said was hoda'a. Hoda'a, meaning giving thanks, loosely translated. This person was Leah, Leah, our matriarch. Hoda'a is the step after noticing the good. And this hoda'a step is attributing that gratitude somewhere or to someone else or attributing the object that we are grateful for or a situation we're grateful for, to somewhere or someone else. It's not our doing. And we'll see the text in a minute, but what I'm about to say is an important point, perhaps the most important point of, of, today's, of today's session. This is where we get our name Yehudim from. The word hoda'a or mode, like mode'ani, means to thank, to acknowledge, to admit, one's dependent status on something, someone else. To be a Yehudi, a Jew, which is what we're called in Hebrew because we descend from the tribe of Judah or Yehuda, Yehudi, Yehuda. The root for the same root that is Yehuda, same root is shared with Hoda'a. Yehuda, Hoda'a, which means to think. In other words, to be a Jew means to be thankful to something or someone. And I'll just say that again because it's 
I think one of the most important points um, in this and in general, right? To be a Jew, are you a good Jew? Are you a bad Jew? Are you Jewish enough? I don't know. But the most important thing, at least for our purposes, is that we express gratitude. To be a Jew by definition means to be someone who has hoda'ah, someone who has appreciation, someone who expresses that appreciation and gratitude. Interesting fact to notice, uh, actually, about, about this word hoda'ah is, is the root. What's the shoresh? What's the root of hoda'ah? So some say it actually comes from the root for yud dalid, which is yad, which is a hand. And I read this comment on Facebook. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, but so yad is a hand. And it's the part of the body that typically moves away from the body, out from the self towards others. And this goes back to what we said earlier. Again, gratitude here, hoda'a or yad, hand, is not simply an emotion that we keep inside. It's not simply a noticing, a hakarat hatov, right? It's, and it's not, even, it's not even only expressing that gratitude towards others, although I think that's, that's a step in the right direction. It actually requires some outward facing action, paying it forward, becoming givers ourselves with our own hands. To truly have hoda'a is to actually do something with our hands to express that gratitude by thanking, by offering, by giving back. Let's take a look at this case of Leah, of Leah, and see if we can learn anything about gratitude here. The Talmud says, by the way, that this is the first thank you in the history of the universe. We'll see that in a minute as well. So the Torah says in Genesis 29, Bereshit, and Jacob cohabited with Rachel also. Indeed, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served him, Lavan, another seven years. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben, Reuben. For she declared, it means the Lord has seen my affliction, Reu. It also means now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and declared, this is because the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me this one also. So she named him Shimon, like Shama to hear. Seeing, hearing, again, she conceived and bore a son, a third son, and declared, this time my husband will become attached to me, for I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named Levi, like to accompany Levi. She conceived again and bore a son, a fourth son, and declared, this time I will give thanks to the Lord. Odeh, modeh, hoda'a. I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. This is where we get our name from. This is our origin story as Jews, is this moment here where Leah expresses gratitude to Hashem. We should notice a few things. First is that these thanks don't happen under, you know, this thanks does not happen under some miraculous glorious circumstance of, you know, oh my God, everything's going so well. It happens in a moment of despair and loneliness. Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. She's literally unloved and it's God who has to open up her womb. No Jacob to be found. The, the, the names of, the, of her first children, and I believe this is, uh, and thanks to Rav Shai Held for some of this uh, interpretation, she is literally, uh, she's unloved, right? The names of her children are about seeing her affliction, about God seeing her affliction not Jacob. She can only hope he will come to see her, that he'll come to love her. And ultimately, he does not. Right? For the next child, God heard she's unloved. Again, Jacob is absent. And for her third child, she still has hope. Maybe this time, Jacob will at least feel attached to me. If I can't get love, at least give me some attachment. But alas, it does not happen. And for the fourth child, this is where she simply Thanks, Hashem. And there we get Yehuda or Judah. Her gratitude here is not out of an abundance of great things. It's because of the little things that mean so much. She is grateful despite. She doesn't have it all, 
but she has enough. Perhaps that's why she stops bearing children because she came to terms with her situation. And even though she had lost some measure of hope, what she gained in this experience was gratitude and appreciation for the things she does have. And it's from this story that we get our name and our destiny. No doubt as Jews, we've seen our fair share of pain and tragedy. And yet, yet here we are, we're Yehudim. We're the grateful ones. And that may be the key to our survival. And it's all, it's all in our name. In our, in our remaining minutes, we're going to get to um, um, the act of blessings. We're going to discuss blessings for a few minutes. But before doing that, I just want to bring this piece of Talmud, which really highlights, I think, uh, the experience of loneliness, maybe that God was feeling. Right? It says in Tractate Brachot in the Talmud, and Rabbi Yochanan said, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, from the day the Holy Blessed One created the world, no one thanked the Holy Blessed One until Leah came and, until Leah came and thanked God, as it stated. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she said, this time, this time, I will give thanks to God. And he was called Judah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine creating the world, creating humanity, and then at least on, on one level, from one reading of this text, nobody had thanked you until now? Talk about manners. I wonder if, if there's something to be said, like we're the chosen people because we, we have gratitude, because we, we have manners. Um, I wonder if there's something there um, as well. There is a teaching actually that Adam, the first Adam, Adam, Adam Harishon, the first, first human being, the first man on earth expressed gratitude. And yet, we actually see quite the opposite. Um, in in uh, we see actually quite the opposite, and I just wanted to to explore that um, with us in just a minute. So, in the very same, uh, we have the we, we spoke about Reishit earlier, right? About Bereishit in the beginning, which which we maybe said through gratitude or because of gratitude, Reishit Kol Pri, the the bringing of the first fruits because of that expression of gratitude was the world created. In the very same creation narrative, right? We have actually a case of ingratitude, and that's with Adam, Adam Harishon, the first Adam. In the Garden of Eden, after Eve and Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes are opened, right? They realize they're naked. And when they hear God coming, they hide from God. God asks the famous question, Ayeka, where are you? Adam explains, oh, we were afraid. And, and you know, we were afraid. And God wants to know, how did you know? How did you know to be afraid? How did you know you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? And Adam says, Adam says the following. The woman you put by my side, she gave me from the tree, and I ate it. Rashi tells us, back to our commentator Rashi, that when Adam did this, he was, quote, kafar betova. Literally, in this moment, Adam denied. He was kofar. He denied the good. Another word, usage of, of kafar in the, in the story of Noah actually is to smear over something, covering something. Right? He denied, he covered up the good. He was a kofar. And if you, if you, if you know sort of uh, more contemporary Hebrew, to be a kofar, and also in rabbinic Hebrew, to be a kofar is to be a denier, to be a heretic. Adam was a heretic. He was a heretic of the good. Literally, the opposite of gratitude, the opposite of hakarat hatob, of recognizing and noticing and acknowledging the good, was Adam. This, once again, linguistically and conceptually links gratitude and ingratitude to both relationships between people. Adam was not grateful for, for the woman who God had, who God had created for him and, um, and with the divine. He was ungrateful to, to Eve. He was ungrateful to Hashem for making her in the first place. He simply blamed the predicament, uh, blamed the predicament on her. Yeah, in the beginning, he acknowledges her as bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. He feels connected to her. But as far as I know, words are not exchanged between them in the Torah. Beyond naming Eve, we don't see any verbal communication between them. We just have Adam blaming her and the only other human, her and she's the only other human being on earth. He has some gratitude, huh? So how? How do we express gratitude? How do we express gratitude towards the sources of our lot in life, despite it never being perfect? Well, in Judaism, we have the concept of 
brachot, of blessings. We have the concepts of blessings. The Talmud says we're supposed to make a hundred blessings per day. That is a lot of blessings. Not as much if you pray three times a day, you eat three meals a day, you say a blessing before the meal, you say blessings after the meal, etc. Right? Blessings in prayer in general, interestingly enough, are not framed as, I'm grateful for X. I am grateful for X. The very first words a Jew utters in the morning, as many of us know, are, are words of gratitude. Grateful am I before you, who has returned my, my soul to me. Not I, Lauren, or, 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 or Abshmuli, am grateful. No, grateful am I for my soul. This is great hakarat hatov, right? Grateful is the first word. It's not about me. It's about the gratitude. And this moment of gratitude is directed towards God as well. So we have both the hakarat hatov and we have the hoda'ah. We're moving from hakarat hatov to hoda'ah from merely noticing, oh, look, I'm awake. This is nice. To thanking the source. Thank you for, for helping me wake up in the morning. This is very nice. There's someone out there I'm expressing my gratitude towards. All blessings are phrased in that form, to my knowledge. Baruch Atah Hashem. Blessed are you, Lord. Right? Whether we're making a blessing to do a mitzvah, to do a commandment, or to express praise for God, and yes, to say thank you, we always start with Baruch Atah Hashem. Blessed are you, the source of all these blessings. There are literally blessings for everything in Judaism, for foods of all their varieties, for all natural phenomena, for unnatural phenomena, uh, when our lives are saved when life is created, when, when life is, is destroyed and people die, when we get a new, uh, a new shirt, when we try a new fruit, uh, when we see a pretty person, when we see an ugly person, when we see someone we haven't seen in a month or a year. And, if, and of course, there's the prayer of going to the bathroom. If you talk to anybody who has Crohn's, they will tell you when they learn about this bathroom prayer, wow, now I really appreciate this. Um, and there, I'm sure there are plenty of blessings I don't even know about. And something to notice about brachot is that we don't have one bracha for everything. It's not like a general mantra of, of gratitude in Judaism. That would be akin to saying, ah, thanks for everything. Appreciate it. No, we have specific brachot for each moment. And it shows that we're paying attention to the details of what others are doing for us. Thank you for X. Thank you for Y. We're being very specific with our things. And on some level, these are all small things, but the sages teach that we should maximize the blessings that others bestow on us and really appreciate in a magnified way the, the, the chesed, the kindness that door, that's done towards us. And we should minimize it for, from our perspective, the impact or the value of the things we do for others. We should really appreciate the small things that come our way and not get too excited about the great things that we do for others. And a note of practical advice for blessings. Blessings can be done in any language, right? Maybe it should be in the form that the sages had instituted, um, but a blessing is a blessing, whether it's in Hebrew or Mandarin or English, it doesn't matter. It's the intention that matters and Hashem understands languages. The most important part is that it be directed towards Hashem. So in today's session, we talked about Hakarat Hatop, about recognizing the good as step one. We saw examples of Hakarat Hato from some of the early Musar thinkers and from Moses himself. We saw um, thanking inanimate objects and actually treating them with a certain level of respect. And that's supposed to inspire us to notice um, not just the physical things in the world that help support us, the inanimate objects, but also the other people who support us. Um, and uh, we learned about Hoda'a, about thanks. And we saw that Leah was the first person to say this, and it was under not ideal circumstances by any stretch of the imagination, that gratitude is, is gratitude for something despite something, knowing that things are not perfect. Um, and we have the concept in Judaism of, of blessings, of daily blessings. And we have that in the Siddur, right, in the prayer book, but we also have, you know, just moments of hipodidut, of, 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 of mindful meditation where we can thank God as well. It doesn't have to come from, from a prayer book. So let me pause there. We've spoken a lot. Um, there's gratitude towards people. There's a lot of different forms of gratitude, um, different objects of gratitude. Um, let me pause there and see from, from, from folks here, like where, where do you, I guess the simple question really is, is what do you feel grateful for? Let's start with that. 
what do you feel grateful for? And that could be, I feel grateful for the chair I'm sitting on. Be, I feel grateful for my house. I feel grateful for my spouse. Oh, didn't mean to rhyme there. Um, but what are, what are, what's one thing? And I want us all to do this who are in this room, to just share one thing that you feel grateful for. And I'm going to go on mute. I'm grateful for living in Toronto. I'm grateful for my health. I'd say I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to learn and grow. I'm grateful for the people in my life. I'm grateful for, for my health and for internet connection, which allows me to connect with people all over. Yes, Eileen, you raised your hand. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to be learning today. Today is the important part. You're on mute. Oh, I'm on mute, sorry about that. I said, that if you ever go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, everything is one day at a time, one day at a time, that every day is a blessing, every day brings its challenges, and just getting through the day um, is a miracle itself. Um, I think there's real value there, just being grateful to be able to be alive today. I think one of the challenges of, of gratitude is actually expressing it towards other people, and Maybe you've heard this teaching from Maimonides that, that when you're giving tzedakah, the best way is to do it anonymously and towards like an anonymous source. So they don't know you, double blind, if, you're, uh, if you know studies, right? They don't know me, I don't know them. Yet there's actually a mitzvah, it's a bit complicated, but there's a mitzvah that when we give gifts to other people, we want to make sure they know. We want them to know we gave them a gift because... That creates bonds. That creates relationships. It creates a bond. Otherwise, you know. So, so they say, like, well, if you give a, if you give a child some food, um, you know, give them a chocolate, then make sure that you either put a note to the to, to the mother, hey, I gave your son a chocolate, um, or something like that, um, because that that develops relationships. Because um, I feel grateful to you for feeding my child, um, and I when I feel grateful, I'm going to be inspired, hopefully, um, to give to others, knowing that. Um, it's not a zero-sum world out there. Um, so one of the challenges, I think, is to actually express gratitude towards other people. Sometimes it's hardest to do that um, with others who are, we are close to, in part because we get used to things and we don't even notice when something um, is a chesed, is a kindness, instead of something that's just out of obligation. I'm curious to hear if you feel comfortable sharing. Um, if there's somebody that you haven't expressed gratitude towards recently, who you feel like, I would like to push myself to offer them thanks for something specific. And it, it could be something recent or it could be something in the past. Someone that you, that you wish, and you can just use initials um, or something like that, um, or just make up a name. Someone you wish you could offer gratitude to, but you just haven't done it for one reason or another. I think uh, for me, it's, uh you know, my parents who are no longer here. It's like, I, I hope I, I thank them multiple times for giving me a good life and providing me with many blessings. But, you know, especially at the end when they were sick, it's like, you know, it, it's just, you kind of become, the roles get reversed. You become a caregiver giver or caretaker and, um, you know, trying to remember the last time I thanked them just for the life that they gave me rather than thanking them for a gift or, you know, something like that. Thank you, Randy. I know um, for me, I've, I've 
I had a, 2020 was a hard year for a lot of people. Um, for me, it was particularly hard just in my job because I, unfortunately, like through circumstances, my name ended up being dragged through the mud at work. And I think now, like, you know, I really need, I learned a lot from that. So for me, it would be sort of going back to some of these individuals and thanking them for really presenting me with challenges and opportunities to grow and really reflect on my actions and like speech and, and so forth. Um, not really quite possible now for various reasons, but you know, I think that's something where I think a lot about like, how can I be grateful for the bad things that happen in my life? What do I, how do I learn from that and grow to be a better person? Thank you, Alex. And I should say that there's actually we didn't go over it today, but there's actually teaching that that in the same in the same way that we that we thank God that we bless God uh, for the good, uh, we're also supposed to for the bad, and that is a complicated idea um, that probably can't get into right now. But but there is you know there's a blessing when somebody dies. Baruch Dayanamet. Blessed is the true judge. Um, what does it mean to make a blessing on on even the negative things in life? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot there. Other folks, people that you wish that you that you could or would or have you know developed the strength, um, but for one reason or another have not have not properly thanked. Um, I'm grateful for my cousins in Israel who were very supportive when I lived there, and I do keep in touch and I do miss them. But it's hard to show this gratitude from a distance. I um, yeah, I cherish them. Thank you, Lauren. Great. Well, I hope you appreciated um, our session today. Um, I think gratitude, again, it's, it's really key to our identity as Jews. It's baked into much of the year. It's baked into our name. Um, we've seen some of the history um, of gratitude from a Jewish perspective in our literature today. Um, next week, we are going to go to the Midah of what's called Zrizut. Um, in fancy language, they call it alacrity, um, but in me, English, it's enthusiasm. So how, I think, and there will maybe be some in, from inspiration from David Allen, Getting Things Done, if you know that book. Um, but yeah, I think there is something to not just committing ourselves to doing something, but to really do it. And how do we, how do we move from a place of, of when we feel like we are, we're sort of, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Dragging our feet, or we're feeling a little stagnant. How do we get ourselves to just kind of jump up and say, you know what, I'm going to take some action. So that's going to be the topic of, of next week is the Midav's Rizut of, of alacrity, of enthusiasm. Um, I'm grateful that you all came today to learn together and that you shared as well. Um, and I hope that you know you can be in touch with me throughout the week if anything comes up or you have questions or you want to go deeper into any sources. Um, and until then, thank you all. I am grateful for you all. Um, for being here, and I hope to see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank Bye -bye. you. Bye.